satanic cults, kidnapping, and young love. What more could you ask for? Welcome to Crime Soup Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Carter. And I'm Hannah. And this week we're discussing the abduction of Carolyn Watson and Julian Buckwald. On the 4th of March, 2008, 17-year-old Carolyn Watson and 22-year-old Julian Buckwald set off for a romantic picnic date near a waterfall in the remote area of Budgeree, Australia. I don't know if I was saying that right, but sounds right to me. Um, (laughs) A very non-professional Australian. The young couple had been dating for two years at this point, and by all standards, they were in a pretty serious relationship. They were so serious, in fact, that Julian had already proposed to Carolyn a year prior to this day, when Carolyn was only 16 and Julian was 21. Uh, Carolyn was still in high school, was in high school, and still was at this point. So she told Julian that while she did want to marry him, she wanted to wait until she was 18 and graduated. And I also want to remind you that they had been dating for two years. So she was 15 when they started dating, and he was 20. Mm -hmm. Red flags, dingling and everywhere. They met in church. But they didn't even hold hands or kiss. They wanted to wait until they were married to show any sort of affection whatsoever. Wild to me. I don't know how people live like that. Yeah. You, Kaylee, just macking on all the boys. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) And girls. All of them. (laughs) Everybody. Nobody's safe. Nobody's fucking safe. (laughs) This This is a side note. Like, I... Maybe I shouldn't say this. I personally am not a fan of this brand of Christianity because I feel like it puts young people in really bad situations. Like, where they marry somebody because they were lonely and horny, not because they really knew each other? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, this waterfall date was something they did often because this destination was on the property that Julian's parents owned. Budgerie was an extremely rural town in the middle of nowhere. The population was about 200 people, and the closest large city is Melbourne, about a two and a half hour drive away. Julian Buckwald's parents owned over 1,200 acres of bushland in this remote town. And if you're wondering how big that is, Central Park in New York City, USA, is 843 acres. So it's a little bit bigger than Central Park. And Central Park is pretty big. It's like one and a half times the size. Yeah. After picking Carolyn up from her parents' house in Churchill, which is a town about 20 minutes away from Budgery, they made their way to Julian's house to check in with his parents before heading off on their date. The waterfall picnic destination was about a 30-minute drive away from the Buckwald house, and there was a small dirt road running through the property of empty bushland that they would take to get there. Apparently, they did this activity often, and I don't know if Julian grew up on this property or had spent long enough on it to know it well, but he knew his way around just fine. As they drove down this dirt road, Julian pointed out what he thought was a huge animal who that looked like had been hit by a car, and I guess he liked to look at roadkill, so he talked about how he wished that he had stopped to see it and that maybe he would stop on the way back to look at it, which is okay, weird, but fine, I guess. <laughs> Everyone's got their thing. His is roadkill. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they eventually made it to the waterfall and enjoyed their picnic, but Carolyn needed to be home by three o'clock. So they started their drive back. 
Julian asked Carolyn if she would mind if he stopped to look at the large roadkill that he saw earlier, and she said she didn't as long as she made it home before her curfew. So Julian stopped- This is such a romantic date. So romantic. What? Like, waterfalls, picnics, roadkill, all the essentials to make this, Mm -hmm. like, just a divine night. Julian stopped the car and sprinted back on the road just out of sight in search of the dead animal, Uh, and Carolyn just sat and waited in the car. But as time started to pass with no sign of Julian, she started to wonder if she should get out of the car to go find him. So after like 10 minutes, she was like, what is going on here? Like, how long does it take to poke a dead animal with a stick? Like, (laughs) boys will be boys. (laughs) That is the only boys will be boys that I will accept, honestly, in that context. She tried calling his phone, but he didn't answer. And Carolyn grew increasingly worried and frustrated as it got closer to three o'clock. She was like, what the hell? Like, she didn't say what the hell, obviously. She's like a devout Christian that doesn't even hold hands with <laughs> She probably said, oh my heck, where is he? <laughs> Actually, I don't know what they say in Australia. Maybe they say something else. Arnar. Crikey. Crikey, Arnar, where's Julian? <laughs> <laughs> um, after calling Julian again with no luck, she glanced up from her phone and into the rearview mirror where she saw a man dressed from head to toe in black holding a knife sprinting toward the car at full speed. She panicked and she froze and the masked man ripped her out of the car, tied her up, blindfolded her and threw her in the trunk. So he, her, of her car or a Julian's car? Julian's car. Yeah. Threw okay, her in so the he's stealing Jul- the car. Yeah. Where did this, did you say he was masked? Yeah. He, what did they call it? Uh, a bak- balaclava? Balaclava. Yeah. Um, they call it a balaclava, but it's just like a ski mask. Yeah. So he was wearing a ski mask, black gloves, all black from head to toe, and holding a fucking knife. And rope, obviously, because he tied her up. Meanwhile, back at the Buckwald house, Julian's mother is waiting on the porch, worried that Julian and Carolyn haven't come back to check in yet. It's not like them to be late. So she walks off the porch and down the driveway to get a better look at the road leading out into their property, hoping that she'll see Julian's car come over the small hill. But there's no sign of them. Instead, something shiny catches her eye. A glass bottle was attached to their chain link fence, and it looked like it was intentionally placed there. Mrs. Buckwald picked it up with the intention of throwing it away, but she sees a note inside and she opens it up. And this is what the note says. You bloody couldn't leave us alone, so your son and girl won't walk about. You get Carolyn and Julian back when we finish our business in the area, but only if you behave yourself and don't shit us around again. I don't know if that's like a thing. It's probably an Australian way of saying things. Why are you shitting us around? Good God. But either way, I'm going to start saying that. But only if you behave yourself and don't shit us around again. Tell everyone they're on holiday. Don't you dare talk to the cops again and you'll get your kids back. Shit us again and you'll never see them again. Because we'll rape the girl to death and burn her alive. And the bloody boy will, will really enjoy to torture and sacrifice to our God to pay back 180 times the hurt he did to us when we picked him up. This is your last warning. Do what we say and the kids come back in a live condition. Signed the ONA or the Order of Nine Angles. And the paper was like a whole bunch of like satanic symbols and runes were drawn all over the paper as well. So the Order of Nine Angles is a satanic cult. They're a self-professed satanic cult that operates out of the United Kingdom specifically, but it also has chapters in the United States, Canada, and Russia. And they're not the good guy Satanists that I personally know and love. These are the bad guys. <laughs> like, they're a far-right neo-Nazi satanic cult who believe in human sacrifice and rape. Like, gotcha. bad news bears. They're not like the, 
your friendly neighborhood Satanists who are fighting for like abortion health care in the United States. <laughs> not not those guys. These are the fuckers. Okay. Julian's mom immediately calls the cops, obviously, because why wouldn't you, even though the note just told them not to. And while the cops were suspicious about the legitimacy of the note, they launched an air and land search. And this was not an ideal place to go missing because this valley was thick bushland, so lots of winding back roads and it was covered with trees. So it would be really hard to find missing people in this area. While police searched the area for Julian and Carolyn, detectives sat down with the parents to get more information about who possibly could have taken them. So when the detective sat down with Carolyn's parents, they discovered that 10 days earlier, Carolyn's parents received a vague threatening letter from the Order of Nine Angles, and they had contacted the police. But nothing was done because at the time it just seemed like a weird prank. And I couldn't find exactly what the note to Carolyn's parents said, but summed up, it said something like, watch your girl, don't call the cops, don't fuck with us. Something like that, along those lines. Like... It was about Carolyn. It was threatening Carolyn and threatening them that if they went to the police with this information, they would they would retaliate. But like, what's the point of telling? I don't know. So hold on. Let me make sure I got this right. So Carolyn was actually threatened first. Yes. Ten days earlier. Okay. Uh, But the police were like, this is weird, but it's probably just like a bad prank. And so Carolyn's parents were like, okay, we won't worry about it too much then. Corroborating this information made the police realize that this was a much different scenario than they had previously thought, especially because when Miss Buckwald called the police, Carolyn and Julian had only been missing for like an hour. So to them, at first, like this seemed a little silly or just like a little prank, but now it was apparent that it was a much more like planned kidnapping. And it was also strange to police that the Order of Nine Angles would do this because there hadn't been a previously established report of this group in Australia. But at the same time, it was possible that the group was loudly announcing their arrival in the area and wanted to do something that would get a lot of attention. Either way, the police weren't entirely convinced that they were dealing with an actual satanic cult because satanic cults are actually really rare. But they did believe that Julian and Carolyn were victims of foul play. As the days went by with no sign of Julian and Carolyn, the more police believed they were looking for bodies to recover and not just Julian and Carolyn. They only had the clothes on their backs, the food for the afternoon on their picnic, and if they somehow did manage to survive in the wilderness, they would have had to like brave drastic temperature changes, it was super hot in the day and freezing at night, venomous and dangerous animals, and rugged terrain. On March 11th, 2008, seven days after Julian and Carolyn went missing, a farmer was driving on a remote road in the mountains by Alpine National Park, nearly 250 miles from the town of Budgery, when he saw Carolyn and Julian in little to no clothing on the side of the road. Yes. Not knowing who- 250 miles? Yes. And they were hardly dressed. Like, they had hardly any clothes on. And he was basically driving through- And they stumbled out of the forest, like just so happened while he was driving by. And he saw them and was like, something is wrong. So he pulled over to see if they needed help. And Julian and Carolyn explained who they were and pleaded for help. And the farmer took them to the hospital immediately. Detectives from Budgery quickly learned the news and drove up to the hospital. The kids were sunburned, covered in cuts and bruises, but physically they were safe, which was a surprise to everyone considering all the factors, right? They they had been missing for seven days in the wilderness of Australia. You you would not catch me dead even for like an hour outside alone in anywhere in Australia, honestly, because everything there wants to kill you. I don't know how they survived. Including the people. Here's what happened, according to both of their stories, Carolyn and Julian's stories. When Julian got out of the car to see the roadkill, he couldn't find it where he thought that it had been, but he decided to keep searching just a few more minutes before giving up and going back to the car. So he walked far enough away from the car at this point that he had turned on a bend in the road, so he couldn't see the car. 
Julian says that when he finally came across the roadkill, it had been partially obscured by a bush, and that's why he had a hard time seeing it. So he lifted the bush to see the dead animal, and then he says he felt something hit him in the back of the head really hard, and that everything went black. Julian explained that when he woke up, he knew that a lot of time had passed because it was dark out when he came to, and it was broad daylight when he had been hit. He didn't know where he was, he had hardly any clothes on, and his wrists and ankles were tied together, and he was tied to a tree. But miraculously, as he looked around, he saw a knife a few feet from him under some bushes. So he cut himself free, and he knew he needed to get out of there, but he didn't know where he was or where to go, so he just picked a random direction and ran. And then on Carolyn's side of the story, at the time when Julian's getting hit, Carolyn sees The man running up to the car in all black, black gloves, black ski mask with a knife in his hand. The man rips her out of the car, blindfolds her, hogties her, throws her in the back of the trunk, and then her kidnapper drives for six hours. She doesn't know exactly how much time had passed, but she knew it was a long time. When the car finally stopped, the man took her blindfold off, which is strange to me, and then drug her by the wrists through the woods, cut all of her clothes off with a knife, she was completely naked, and then started digging a hole in the ground with a shovel. The man tried to show Carolyn that this hole in the ground was for her. Like he was like mocking her. Like he wasn't actually speaking to her, she said, but he was just like trying to get her to look at the hole in the ground and implying with his hands and his body language that it was for her. And Carolyn watched in horror for several hours as the hole got deeper, fully convinced that she was watching this man dig her grave. When the hole got deep enough, the man picked Carolyn up and threw her into the hole and she thought she was about to die. So she was frantic and she wiggled to her knees and started to pray loudly. Like she was 17. I can't even imagine like the horror of this whole situation. Like awful, awful, awful. And she was pleading for her life. After a moment, she heard her attacker walking away. The hole was too deep for her to see him, but she could tell that he had left the area. She was still trapped in the deep hole, tied up and naked, but she felt like her prayers had been answered, which is like insane. Because why did he walk away? What's the reason for all this like hullabaloo? Why is the hole so deep? Like, you don't need to dig a hole that deep if you're just, like, discarding a body. Well, everything about this scenario is, like, he's emotionally terrorizing her. He's mentally terrorizing her. Like, he took her blindfold off so she could see. He stripped her completely naked. And he throws her in this super deep hole, like, and then leaves her? There's no reason for that except to terrorize her. Because if he just wanted to rape and kill her, which is what Carolyn thought he was going to do, he would have done that much earlier. Yeah. Darkness had fell and Julian, who was still running, started calling out for Carolyn, hoping to find her. When he came upon her in the hole where the attacker had left her. So he miraculously finds her. He's just running and he finds, he's yelling out for Carolyn's name. He figures like maybe the attacker took her too and she's out here somewhere as well. So he starts yelling out for her. So you're saying that he put Julian in the car too and drove them, the, drove both of them the six hours? I guess so. Okay. But Carolyn didn't know this. And Julian was blacked out, so he didn't know. But yeah, so he's calling out for Carolyn and he hears her respond. And so he runs over, finds her in the hole. He jumps down into the hole, cuts her free, and then lifts her out. So they knew they had to get out of there, but Carolyn could hardly walk because she had been hogtied for over seven hours, like tightly bound for over seven hours in like teeny little spaces. That's awful. She could hardly walk. And uh, Julian pointed out that before they left, they should look around for supplies because whoever took them happened to leave a knife right next to him. So he was under the impression that they left other things there too. And sure enough, they found a sleeping bag propped up on a tree. 
And when they unrolled it, there were two jars of tahini, which is basically like ground sesame seed butter. Like it's like peanut butter, but it's ground sesame seed. So they found two jars of tahini, half a pillowcase full of coconut, water, and a toothbrush inside of this rolled up no! inside of this rolled up sleeping bag. And it was just in the area, like very conveniently, which is wild. At this point, Carolyn and Julian are like, our prayers are answered. Like they're flabbergasted at this point because what are the chances, number one, that you get kidnapped by a satanic cult solo? Like the chances that you're kidnapped by a satanic cult are like almost non-existent, almost non-existent. But what are the chances you get kidnapped by a satanic cult, are left for dead, Manage to escape and you find life-saving essentials, a knife and a toothbrush carelessly left by those same attackers. Like zero. The chances are zero. Well, like almost zero, I guess, because it happened to them. And this is all day one. So they were gone for seven days total, but this all happened day one. Carol, sorry, but you made up this story. There's no way that this is real. You found me out. Is this this another one of your weird-ass dreams? (laughs) I'm sorry, but I don't think I'm creative enough to make this story up because it gets fucking worse. I uh, let me just let me just tell you, okay? <laughs> Carolyn and Julian were convinced that their kidnappers were stalking them, and this was some like fucked up manhunt situation. Like they were forcing them to just run, and they would be hunted for sport. Yeah, like most dangerous game. Yeah. So they took the shit and they were like, we got to get out of here. Uh, so they wandered the area, this same area for the next 48 hours looking for a way out. And like I said, the, the weather was awful. So during the day, the sun would just destroy them. They were so, so, so sunburnt. And then at night, they would huddle together in their one sleeping bag to stay warm in the freezing temperatures at night. And after 48 hours of wandering, they stumbled upon the same hole that Carolyn's attacker dug. And they realized that they had just been walking in a huge circle the whole time. So they freak out because they're like, oh my God, we're so lost. And we're back in the area. Like, is is this guy still here? They were terrified, but luckily no one was was in the area. So Julian again suggested that they look around to find more supplies just in case the guy had left some. And sure enough, they found a fucking backpack propped up on a tree. And inside this backpack, they find more food, water, some clothing, and a map of the area. <laughs> like wild. They... Julian and Carolyn are like, somebody is either looking out for us or this is the most fucked up hunting, stalking game that we've ever, like, this is awful. For the next five days, the couple used the map to navigate the rugged terrain where they eventually found the road where the farmer saw them and picked them up. Do you have any thoughts or theories at this point? Um, I mean, I'm very skeptical because it just sounds so outlandish. Mm-hmm. Um, my inclination is to be suspicious of Julian and is it Caroline or Carolyn? I think Carolyn. Have I been saying both? I don't know. I don't know either. So, Julian and Carolyn. Th- this is just a... <laughs> I want to say that they made up this story to hide the fact that they just wanted to run away together and probably have sex. <laughs> but if you're going to tell... If you're going to tell me that the police actually find, like, this giant hole dug, then I don't know. (laughs) Well, so the police do a huge search of this area after hearing this story, hoping to find the kidnappers or any evidence that would lead them back to the person who did this. And they didn't find anything or anyone leading back to the Order of Nine Angles, but they did find the hole in the ground. The hole was dug. They found rope, duct tape, and a shovel in the same area. And they sent it off to the lab because there was like, they gotta be, there's gotta be some DNA or 
evidence of where these things came from. And they did find who all of these things came from, actually. And all of these things belonged to Julian. Which meant that the kidnapper had either taken these things from Julian's house, or Julian had supplied these items to the kidnapper. Okay, hold on, hold on. Now that you're telling me that all of this stuff belonged to Julian, what I'm thinking is, is he sets up his girlfriend in a way that he's like, hey, I'm just going to get out of the car to go check something out. He goes into the bushes, puts on his balaclava, pulls out a knife, and then stages her kidnapping and makes her think that she's been kidnapped by a stranger? That's what happened. I know what happened. Okay. <laughs> he, just, he puts her in the trunk. I don't know why, but I know what he did. He puts her in the trunk. He gets in his car because what maniac is out in the bushlands of his property <laughs> drives... Drives her out and does this whole torture game because he's a psychopath? Is this like a weird BDSM thing taken to like the thousandth, like thousandth level? Do you want to hear the like rest is, of the story? Is this like a role play gone like way crazy? <laughs> they never had sex, but they were very freaky. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> No, let Do me- they break up? I need her to break up with him. <laughs> let me tell you the rest. Okay, so now that we think about it, there are actually quite a few holes in Julian's story. For example, to be hit hard enough in the head that you're unconscious for six plus hours, that means you have serious, like a traumatic brain injury. And there wasn't a head wound consistent with this story on Julian's head. He had a small cut on the back of his head and it wasn't even big enough to need stitches. He wasn't concussed. He didn't have any like memory issues or anything like that. So he just had like a small cut on the back of his head, not consistent with the story of being knocked out for six plus hours. All of the backpack supplies and other things that the kidnapper used were Julian's. They belonged to Julian. And even the paper that the notes were written on were from a notebook in Julian's room. Like, and at this point, the police knew something fucky was going on and they put some pressure on Julian and they were basically like, come on, dude, why'd you do it? And he cracked. (laughs) He, at this point, he just told him everything. He confessed that he was the mastermind and the only kidnapper. That he kidnapped his girlfriend, wandered in the wilderness, concocted this fucked up scenario in order to try and convince 17-year-old Carolyn to marry him. Oh, you know what? I forgive him. That's a genius idea. <laughs> no! <laughs> You're like, oh, now that you think about it, this is this is very reasonable. Not <laughs> who among us has never kidnapped our significant others? God forbid someone has hobbies. Like no (laughs) so days earlier he had stashed this kidnapper outfit and all the supplies and he staged the roadkill thing just so he could run to this his stash and change into his little weirdo outfit (laughs) he staged this specifically so carolyn would be traumatized and afraid for her life just so he could swoop in as like her hero and savior rescue her and in his mind like seal the deal he wanted her to trauma bond with him and he knew exactly where they were the whole time like he intentionally drug it out and forced them to wander and this is this is the true heart of it right here he he drug it out so long because he wanted to convince carolyn to have sex with him that was the whole reason yes to marry him but mostly to have sex that's the whole thing 
So every night they'd get into the sleeping bag and Julian would give her some speech about how they needed to have sex to stay warm or else they'd die. That sex... (laughs) (laughs) That sex was the only way to survive. Like he was like, we'll only stay warm enough. And she didn't do it. She didn't fucking do it. And good for her. And Carolyn refused on religious principle. And Julian tried to convince her, like, to even have a small unofficial wedding ceremony that they'd say their vows and that in God's eyes it would be legitimate. And then they could have sex to survive. All right. And every single night Julian did this. And every single night Carolyn refused him. So good for fucking her. The reason they were out for seven days is because Julian wanted to wear her down. But he finally gave up because she just would not back down. So... (laughs) I'm so proud and they of... they ran out of peanut butter. They ran out of fucking tahini. Good for Carolyn. Like, good for her for saying fuck no. Like, I, I'm i glad that he didn't, like, assault her or anything. But, because God knows he's crazy enough to do it after all this. But he didn't want to be the bad guy. He desperately did not want to be the bad guy. So that's probably why he didn't do it. Carolyn sustained long-term injuries to her arms, neck, and back from being hogtied for seven plus hours and cramped into a trunk and a hole in the ground. And she also suffered like serious psychological damage after learning that her boyfriend created this horrific scenario and they broke up. That's that's why he wasn't talking at all to her whenever he was playing the role of the kidnapper because she would have recognized his voice. Exactly. And I'm actually surprised that he took her blindfold off while he was digging the hole. I guess like... My brain immediately goes to, I'd be looking around everything in the area, I'd be trying to take in all the details, but if it felt hopeless, like if I felt like I wasn't going to live, then maybe I wouldn't have paid attention. Maybe my brain would have been like trying to dissociate and trying to figure out a way, like, (laughs) I don't even know. So what happens next? So Julian was charged with kidnapping, abduction with the intent to marry, abduction for sexual penetration. You say intent to marry? Yes, that's a thing. No. What? Apparently it's happened enough times that they had to put it into fucking law. So that's a thing. Abduction for sexual penetration. What is going on in Australia? Honestly, nothing that isn't happening here. <laughs> I can't point fingers when we live in the US of fucking A. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to point fingers. Faking his own kidnapping, theft, and then later he was charged with skipping bail. So Julian was granted bail before his trial, but he had the really smart idea to flee the country because he's full of really smart ideas, clearly. His family was from Germany and immigrated to Australia 20 or so years prior, but Julian was actually born in Germany, so he didn't have Australian citizenship. And this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, light-skinned Julian decided to flee to India, and he somehow, I don't know how, he obtained a fake Indian passport and had the bright idea, again, full of amazing ideas, trying to pass as an Indian man by disguising himself in brown face makeup and dyeing his hair black. I, I'll have to send you the passport picture. He looks like a white guy in brown face. Like he's- We have a picture? Yes, I have a picture. I've seen white men in brown face. Have you seen that picture of Justin Trudeau in blackface? No, actually, I haven't. Oh, it's bad. Why do people do this? I, why? Terrible idea. All of them. Uh, so I don't know how he got the Indian passport, but he actually made it out of the country. But it was short-lived because as soon as he landed in India, he was arrested and then extradited back to Australia. Uh, the Indian airport officials were like, you are fucking joking right now. They're like, welcome to our country. 
just can you step inside this room while we lock it behind you? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, they were like, you have got to be joking right now. You dumb ass bitch. In 2009, he stood trial for his crimes and was found guilty on all accounts. And he was sentenced to seven years and nine months in prison for his original charges and then an extra six months for skipping bail. In 2014, Australia informed Julian that his permanent residency visa was under review and he tried to appeal this by saying that he had a job offer lined up for when he would be released in 2016. And that he also had a spotless record before he went and fucked it up by kidnapping his girlfriend. But Australia obviously rejected his appeal in October 2014 and canceled his visa. So in spring of 2016, he was released and immediately shipped off to Germany. So he had distant relatives in Germany, but he didn't speak German because he was born in Germany. And then like a few years later, his parents moved to Australia. So I don't know what he's doing in Germany, but apparently if he had applied for citizenship before this, it would have been granted. And because he tried to apply after all this, Australia was like, uh, nar, babe, nar, and shipped him back from whence he came. But like Carolyn and Julian's parents, like that, like I said, they met at church and they all really liked each other and they were very like happy about this arrangement. So like they all knew each other. And I wonder what the fallout was after this because I couldn't find anything because they all went to the same church in this really remote area where there are only like 200 people. So were the Buckwalds kind of like kicked out, like ostracized, not allowed to go back to this church? Was it just like boys will be boys and he just really wanted to marry her, I guess. Like, I desperately want to know the fallout of what happened after this. Budgery. If anyone from Budgery is listening, please, we want to hear the scoop. Spill the tea. Or Churchill, I think, which is about 20 minutes outside of Budgery. That's where, that's where Carolyn's family lives. Alrighty. Oh, I didn't, I don't have a, a sign off. You should do it in an Australian accent. I don't know if I can. How do you say thanks in an Australian accent? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Crime Suit Podcast. That's not Australian. That's that's something <laughs> No, that else. was pretty good. <laughs> I don't think that was. I think that was less Australian and more something else. It sounds like Fat Amy from Pitch Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and she's Australian. I know. I don't think it sounded that good. Be sure to find us on social media and let us know your thoughts on this case. You can find us on YouTube and TikTok at Crime Suit Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter. They don't say Twitter like that. They say Twitter like something else, right? But you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at crime underscore soup. How do I say this? We also have a website. A website! (laughs) We have a website, crimesuitpodcast.com, where you can listen to all of our episodes and buy your very own Crime Suit merch. I'm, I'm mixing them together, but you get the idea. As always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Stay safe and bon appetit.